All right, I'm so proud to introduce the next three girls to you. I'm a huge fan of every single one of them. I'm pleased to introduce Arissa Dameron, who was our wonderful summer intern this summer at headquarters. She's a student at Yale where she's involved in the Buckley Society. Uh, then I have Lydia Longoria, who was her TCU student body treasurer and now is the CR treasurer. And she has been such a help with, to me with planning the summit. And then I have Amber Athey, who we worked with uh, last spring to bring Dr. Christina Hoff Summers to her campus. And she met uh, with a lot of decorum, a huge campus backlash, and she put up with a whole lot, and she did it in a very classy, gracious manner. So I'm really looking forward to hearing from all of these three girls. Please join me in welcoming Arissa, Lydia, and Amber. All right, I'll start us off. Hi, my name is Larissa Dameron. Like Laurel said, I'm a sophomore at Yale. I'm in the Buckley program, and I was also a CBLPI intern this summer. Um, I'm here to talk about just my story going through Yale, which I promise is very exciting. <laughs> um, so at one of the most renowned universities in the country, you'd think that I'd be surrounded by some of the most intelligent people, right? Wrong. As a conservative at Yale, I have found myself the target of a lot of hatred from these quote-unquote smart students who are simply intolerant of views they don't agree with. When I arrived on campus and before classes started, I participated in a pre-orientation program called Cultural Connections. It touted itself as a way to interact with and learn about other cultures. Being from the very plain state of Kentucky, I thought this was a great opportunity for myself. It ended up being a seminar on hating white people, labeling everything as cultural appropriation, and talking about microaggressions. It certainly was not what I had in mind. After that, I thought I'd be able to dive into classes and forget the liberal campus around me, but I was mistaken. Before I could register for classes, I had to attend mandatory workshops that taught me everywhere to get a condom on campus, how to put a condom on a wooden phallus, and where to get an abortion in New Haven. These were required before I could register for my classes. Once I was past all the liberal smuck in the registration process, I was sure that I was in the clear. I was taking classes that I enjoyed, making friends, and finding clubs and teams that I loved being involved with. This cloud of liberalism followed me, though. The liberal firestorm did not stop after my freshman year and actually intensified in the early fall of my sophomore year. In September, it was announced that the Yale Divinity School had hired D. Ray McKesson to teach a class on leadership. If you're not aware of D. Ray, he's a prominent activist in the Black Lives Matter movement who prides himself on being a professional protester. It's the first thing in his Twitter bio. Um, he incites violence among the movement, and he tries as hard as he possibly can to make himself the leader of the movement, even to their own movement's chagrin. When he tried to go to Charleston after the Charleston shooting, a large platform was launched called Go Home D-Ray because they didn't want him to come to Charleston and incite violence like he had in Ferguson and Baltimore. You may have seen the Sean Hannity interview where he responded to a simple question about his job by saying, would you ask me that if I was white? That's the kind of man we're talking about here. In September, I was contacted by Fox News to appear on Fox and Friends and voice my opinion on why bringing D-Ray, someone who only has a bachelor's degree, to teach at Yale University among Nobel laureates and doctors was a bad idea. For the record, he was teaching a class on leadership among a reverend and a doctor who were both Yale alumni. Of course, I jumped at the opportunity, and on that Saturday morning in September, I sat down on Fox and Friends with Tucker Carlson. I expressed my dislike of D-Ray's quote-unquote leadership techniques, his lack of qualifications, he had only taught middle school math for a year, 
and some general comments about my time as a conservative at Yale, including being called a bigot for wearing a Republican shirt that said, I'm always right, and being told I was too conservative to live with by a peer. I expected some backlash, but I was a little surprised where it came from. I immediately received countless tweets and Facebook messages, and I'm still receiving them today, of support for my opinion on D-Ray and my situation as a conservative at Yale. However, the following evening, a Sunday night, I became the target of a vicious post in a Facebook group called Overheard at Yale. In the post, in the ensuing comments, which were about 60 long, I was called a bigot, a racist, an ingrate, an idiot, insignificant, a stereotypical southern white woman, told I should leave campus, and mocked for my appearance. These comments all came from my liberal, open-minded, and tolerant peers. The magazine for colored people on campus, as they call themselves, Down, also published an article called Don't Hate Arissa Dameron, That's What Fox News Wants You to Do, in which they implied that I was too stupid to think for myself and that Tucker Carlson was really the one, you know, pulling me through my conservative beliefs. I'm very lucky that I have a strong backbone. <laughs> Uh, my time with the Clay Booth Loose Policy Institute and my conversations with my fellow interns prepared me to deal with such harsh backlash and insults. I cannot call them criticisms, though, because criticisms come with a caveat of improvement. These insults were fired at me solely to try and tear me down, break my spirit, and keep me quiet. They failed. The next week, I was featured on countless news websites and in the school news newspaper to talk not only about D-Ray, but also about the backlash I experienced from my quote-unquote tolerant classmates. They did not realize that by trying to silence me, they only gave me more to talk about. I survived the firestorm I was put under because I knew I had the entire conservative movement behind me. I had proud conservatives from around the nation reaching out to me to offer me support and guidance, and I had the amazing ladies at CBLPI to support me. I was not alone in my moment of need, and as a young conservative woman, you should know that you too will never be alone when you need people most. As a movement, we're strong and tight-knit. Even when you, your, you and your views are not popular and may garner you some harsh insults or threats or odd comments in general, the conservative movement will support you. We're the tolerant ones. We're the open-minded ones and we're the loving ones. We're a strong movement and we here today are the young women who are the future of this movement. The firestorms we face now are only preparing us for the future and I'm so grateful for my intolerant, closed-minded peers on campus who have helped me grow stronger in my conservative beliefs. They tried to silence me but they failed. Don't let them beat you. Being a conservative is one of the hardest things you can be on a college campus, but I promise you it's one of the most rewarding. Thank you. Well, first I'd like to thank you all for being here. Um, it's quite an honor to speak on behalf of uh, college women nationwide. Uh, my name is Lydia Longoria, and I am senior economics major, communication studies minor at Texas Christian University right here in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, during my time at TCU, I have accomplished many things. I have broken into the boys club, that is the economics program at TCU. I have held leadership positions in many organizations, including my sorority, and I was elected by TCU's student body to be the first ever female student body treasurer. But right now, I'm going to focus on my efforts on the fight for campus carry. And that's what I'm going to talk about today specifically. So on June 13th, Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed into law Senate Bill 11. This bill allows CHL holders to carry on college campuses. However, private schools such as TCU have the option to opt out if a proper evaluation of campus opposition is shown. 
Naturally, this caused firestorms on campuses across Texas, and TCU was no exception. One particular opinion, an opt-ed entitled, Three Reasons Why Guns Don't Belong on College Campuses, written by a female TCU student, became increasingly popular on campus. She covers three very broad, yet very common arguments against campus carry. As a woman and a CHL holder, I felt stigmatized, dehumanized, and even belittled. I hope by walking through these arguments and my reaction to each, you will be able to understand that the struggle that many conservative women and collegiate women are facing today, especially right now in the state of Texas. So the first argument that this young woman wrote is that there is no rational need for weapons on campus. Now when I first read this, I actually became physically angry to the point where I had to close my computer, walk away, and come back later to finish reading the article. Being told that my right to defend myself is not a rational need by another woman was absolutely mind-blowing. The feminist movement harps on making women equal to men. Let's be clear, the feminine body can do incredible things, but our physical makeup, our bone density, our muscle mass, and our body strength is not meant to fight off a perpetrator, especially one who is a man. This is where guns become the great equalizer. If you are a feminist and you tell me that I don't have the right to defend myself, then you're doing feminism wrong. And what's irrational about that? The second argument, and one of the most common, is that access to women, access to weapons, not women, has the potential to increase suicide rates. So from what I've seen, the mental illness argument comes in two forms. It is either argued that someone who is mentally ill and given access to firearms will either hurt others or they'll hurt themselves. So the opt-ed touch, touched on the latter, um, and this is what I have to say about that. Um, while this is a very serious uh, matter, committing, committing suicide is a choice, and hurting others is a choice. Regardless if you are given a registered firearm or not, once that choice has been made, the end is inevitable. There is no correlation or causation between CHL gun ownership and mental illness. And owning or having easier access to firearms certainly doesn't bring on mental illness. If suicide prevention is the biggest concern on campus, why aren't administrators focusing on increasing funding for counseling centers rather than being worried about restricting my rights? The third and final uh, topic often discussed is that it will decrease safety on campus. So as an economic student, I like to look at any situation from an economic standpoint. This is just how I think nowadays. I guess school is actually working. Um, there's this fun little study that I learned about in one of my economics classes about how increased fear of consequence as it relates to increased safety. So I want you to imagine that you're driving a car with all the safety features in the world to the point that where you will never get hurt driving this car. Now think of a car without any safety features. And instead of an airbag, you have a dagger sticking out of your steering wheel pointed right at your chest. Which car are you most likely to drive safely in? Now as a pedestrian, which car would you rather have on the road? The one where the driver has fear of immediate consequence. The same idea applies to concealed carry. All massacres have happened in gun-free zones and that is no coincidence. There was no fear of consequence for the perpetrator. In addition, 0.36% of all convictions in the state of Texas were by CHL holders. This means that over 99% of people who committed any type of crime last year did not hold a CHL. 
Just because I have a CHL, own a gun, and can shoot it accurately, does not mean I'm going to use it for evil. In fact, it means quite the opposite. I like to think CHL holders follow the wise words of Spider-Man when he says, with great power comes great responsibility. So I'd like to leave you with a little personal story about um, being a CHL holder and the stigma that's come with it. Um, a couple days ago, actually, I was um, talking with some student body leaders on TCU's campus um, who were all vehemently against concealed campus carry. Um, they were asking my opinion as someone that they knew was uh, very pro-campus carry. And the question ended up arising, and I was asked directly, do you have a CHL? Now this question was asked by a young woman who I had worked for, or worked with for three years, um, and she was someone that I actually had run my campaign for student body treasure. So we were very close and she knew my character well. Um, when I answered yes, and I believe I've, I have the right to defend myself, the look in everyone's eyes was so haunting. Um, it was automatically judged, my character was automatically judged, and out of her mouth she said, my opinion of you has completely changed, just because I said I hold a CHL license. So regardless of this, the decision that um, is made in November by TCU, um, I will not become a victim of policy. Um, I will not stop fighting for the women, both past, present, and future, who suffer because of this infringement on our rights. And I will not apologize for wanting to defend myself, and neither should any of you. Thank you. Hi, y'all. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, my name's Amber Athey. I'm a senior at Georgetown University studying government and economics with a math minor. Um, and when I was elected chair of the Georgetown University College Republicans um, about six months ago, I had no intentions of holding any controversial events on campus. Um, but as I soon found out, any event held by the college Republicans is considered controversial by the standards of liberals. Um, this past spring, my good friend Mallory Carr, who was actually on this panel last year, approached me with the idea of bringing Dr. Christina Hoff Summers to speak to our club. Um, I thought it was a great idea. Um, I had noticed a shift on campus towards a more extremist feminism that demonizes men and victimizes women. Perhaps the biggest qualm I have with modern feminism is that it completely excludes conservative women. Many feminists um, have somehow twisted the narrative um, to say that being pro-life is being anti-women and a stay-at-home mom somehow isn't reaching her full potential. Um, as you can see, this alienates certain groups of women and the claim that feminism is solely about equal rights at this point is laughable. Dr. Summers offers a more productive alternative freedom feminism that recognizes the inherent differences, differences in men and women and allows women to pursue happiness as they choose. I wanted women who had trouble identifying with the modern feminist movement as well as self-proclaimed feminists um, that don't actually respect women's choices to listen to what Dr. Summers had to say and hopefully everyone would walk away having learned something. Unfortunately, this was not to be. Within a few days of posting about the talk on Facebook, I received notification that students were planning on protesting the event on the grounds that Dr. Summers is an extremist, anti-feminist speaker that dismisses and denies survivors of sexual assault. Never mind the fact that the talk was about feminism and not sexual assault, 
They identify Dr. Summers as dismissive of survivors because she disagrees with the notion that we should just tell men not to rape. Um, apparently, when a respected scholar proposes viable solutions and prioritizes self-protection, it means that she doesn't support victims. Shortly after I became aware of the potential for protest, a student commented on the Facebook event uh, with a trigger warning and outlined that there would be safe spaces available in adjacent rooms. Um, subsequent aggressive comments and messages led me to believe that I should request campus police to be present at the event for both the safety of Dr. Summers as well as the Georgetown College Republicans. At the event itself, protesters stood in the back with signs stating things such as trigger warning, anti-feminism, and Dr. Summers is a rape apologist. This entire backlash came out of a talk about feminism that happened to be from a conservative perspective. It is clear to me that the trigger warnings in safe spaces were not there to protect survivors of sexual assault, but rather to shield the left from listening to an opposing viewpoint. This was proven when a campus newspaper published an editorial that said the college Republicans had no business bringing Dr. Summers to campus because the talk was harmful and not the conversation that students should be having. This fiasco and subsequent personal attacks clearly showed how conservative women are left out of modern feminism, but more importantly, how conservatives in general are treated as pariahs on college campuses. Fellow students called me a misogynist, uh, requested I meet with our Title IX coordinator because I didn't understand sexual assault, um, verbally attacked me in my own apartment while drinking uh, alcohol that I had purchased for them, <laughs> great, great guest manners, uh, and harassed me on Facebook. At this point, I was really angry and fed up with the treatment that conservatives were receiving on campus. It was frustrating to me that the college Republicans were attempting to hold productive conversations, yet we were being shut down and attacked by the left. I had talked to many fellow students that were afraid to even identify as conservative because they were fearful of losing friends or being condemned. I finally decided to write an article called No Climate for Conservatives at Georgetown that outlined my experiences as an outspoken Republican on a liberal campus and called for more respectful treatment and constructive discussions between both sides. Um, a Georgetown student newspaper actually published an article yesterday um, in which I was interviewed and it was about the political climate on campus and the uh, college Democrats president was quoted as saying uh, or implying at least that I had no place in politics and that my experiences should not be taken seriously. Um, he claimed these were taken out of context. That's fine. Um, I brought up my experiences not to garner sympathy or drown in self-pity. These attacks don't really bother me on a personal level. I have a pretty strong backbone. Um, I know that it's not about me. It's about the skewed perception of the views that I hold. My real goal was to give a voice to these issues and encourage conservatives to be bold in the fight for truth. It is our job to change the perception and increase the conservative presence on campus. We have to be willing to take the heat. We have to be unwavering campus activists that will stand up and be proud of our beliefs. Thank you. Arissa, Lydia, and Amber, thank you so much. One of the reasons we have this panel every summit is because we want to illuminate some of the struggles that students face on their campuses, but also to show you three great examples of girls who have gone through tough struggles on their campuses, but 
are clearly stronger and better for it. And that's one of the reasons that we've um, introduced our Loose Society, because we want to reward the girls who are brave enough to be bold on their campuses. I'm going to send you all a link to the Loose Society that we're just launching after the conference. I'd like to open it up uh, for questions. For You can ask a question directed at Arissa, Lydia, or Amber, or you can ask a question to the whole group. Does anyone have any questions? What did you find was the most effective way of promoting your uh, speaking events with the conservative speakers? Well, the Christina Hoff Summers event kind of promoted itself, to be honest. Um, we were expecting a small crowd of about 30 people, uh, all college Republican members. And as soon as liberals got onto the Facebook event and started commenting trigger warning safe spaces, um, that was when the media picked it up, um, the administration was aware of the event, uh, Dr. Summers tweeted about it, and a lot of her followers actually came on the Facebook page and started defending her. Um, so it really became a lot larger because of their protests, so huge thanks to them, I guess. Um, they made a small event into a really huge thing for us, and uh, I guess thank you to them for that. <laughs> I would agree. We had a similar issue with a, an event with Ayan Hussi Ali. Um, the fall of my freshman year in which you know we were asked to disinvite her and it really promoted itself by having a controversial speaker who is very skilled in what she's talking about. She was able to defend herself of course but just having her there to talk about a controversial issue was promotion in itself because you'll have people who will go to normal lectures on just you know casual issues but then everyone turns out to protest and to see like who's going to protest this huge controversial event. Yeah, and one of the problems that we've really faced at TCU is political apathy from both sides. Um, while CR is actually the largest um, club on campus, it actually has the worst turnout for any club event, um, which is, is unfortunate. Um, so one of the things that we've really started to do um, is picking speakers that go with the topic that's hottest on campus, and that kind of promotes itself. Um, so like last night, we had um, Amanda come out, and that was awesome. And um, that's been, concealed carry has been the biggest thing. So just kind of picking and letting it kind of generate itself. Um, as lecture director, I've worked with a number of girls hosting uh, loose lectures on their campuses. And I find that when I tend to meet with women, um, sometimes they can be very anti-controversy and they're sort of shy, like, oh, I don't really want to create a media backlash on my campus. But I think that that's sort of typical sometimes of women, we don't want to be in the spotlight and have people not like us, but always the most successful, most rewarding events are the girls who are bold and brave enough to invite a controversial speaker. So, any more questions? I'm so proud of all three of you all and just do not back down. And as you said, you just do it with class and the art. You have the argument. They just hope to silence you, and they hope to use feelings, and oh, you've hurt my feelings, so I'll go off in a little hole somewhere. And you just don't, you just keep going, and that's great, because it will, the truth always wins. But you touched on something that's so important. I was at an Eagle Forum meeting in Dallas. I live in the general area here, and Alan West was speaking. And I said, Colonel West, I'm noticing you always have to wonder what is the little devious plan behind what's being said, because it always sounds good, what they're doing. Like you mentioned 
the young lady in the middle, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering your name, when you spoke about the mental illness issue, mm -hmm. and I said, Colonel, uh, Colonel Sanders, Colonel West, <laughs> you know what I'm thinking about. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I said, don't you notice they're trying to turn all of our armed service members into people that are mentally ill? Well, who would be best suited to know how to shoot, like you said, accurately and all? are returning vets, and so many of them are being told, oh, they have mental issues. Now, some of them do, and it's terrible what they go through, but to make them all, and, and I said, aren't they doing a wider net of who is mentally ill? Well, you know they're gonna think all three of you all are, and so right away, <laughs> yes, my yeah. goodness, we can't give conservative women guns because they're crazy, because why would they be conservative? And so. Keep that up, but just watch behind the scenes what's happening because this mental illness thing, they're starting to make a much wider net. And what is that for? Oh, if you've been described as mentally ill, you can't have a gun. I have a question specifically for Amber, but anybody can um, pitch in if you have any advice. Um, so, I'm the president of the pro-life club on our campus, and um, that story that you told was just very relevant to what's happening with us right now. So, um, a few of our members attended a feminist rally earlier this year, um, the purpose of which was to celebrate women and to share our experience as women. So, we just wanted to share our experience as pro-life women. How dare you? And that was not taken too well. Um, so, I guess just how would, how did you and, um, would you suggest like responding to that and carrying on in the future with an emphasis just in, we don't want to back down obviously in being pro-life women. Right, so um, I found my best outlet is writing articles for like newspapers, whether campus or off campus, um, because I think it's important to remember that as soon as you get out of the campus bubble, you'll find most people are rational and agree with you and support you. Um, and so it's important to kind of get yourself away from the constant backlash and just find a, a, a group of people outside of campus that are going to back you up. So um, for example, with the Dr. Summers event, all of the um, things that were reported in the media were overwhelmingly positive on behalf of college Republicans. Um, and I totally get what you're saying with the pro-life thing. I actually uh, did a defund PP rally a couple weeks ago, and I had a friend tell me that, like you said, it changed their opinion of me. Um, but regardless, I just think it's so important to keep giving voice to these issues because if people like us dissolve into the shadows, who is going to be left to combat their views? And then the problem's only going to get worse. Right, because we're going to create a vacuum and then the liberals are just going to squeeze right in. So stay vocal and stay active. Um, write, uh, speak on shows if you need to. Anything that will give you exposure, I think, is really important to keeping the movement alive. I am fully in support of infiltrating their safe spaces. <laughs> my favorite accomplishment of my entire freshman year was going to the Women's Center after our Christina Hoff Summers talk where they were holding like a safe space oh, and like God. really, you know, deconstructing her argument. I noticed that most of those women there hadn't been there. There were also like random like sexual implements in the front lobby. 
which is very odd. But I was then asked to leave the Women's Center because my views did not align with theirs, which I hope is my greatest accomplishment so far at <laughs> Yale, um, because I must have been getting to them. So I definitely recommend doing that. Maybe yeah. don't get arrested, but if you need to, if they are asking you to leave because your views don't align with, align with theirs, you're doing something right. Yeah, they actually they had a safe space for our summer's event as well, and they said they were going to be monitoring the door and making sure that the people who came in were not harmful to the people inside. So I guess if you're a conservative, you're harmful now. Wow, what a monster. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Along those same lines, I think it's so important, and y'all have all displayed this in your personal stories, that as conservative women, we maintain this image of class and that we're always welcoming to other people and other ideas in our spaces, so the same argument can never be used against us. And I think y'all did a really great job of that, so I commend you for that. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Some questions over here? Yeah. This question's for Amber. How do you respond to those, you mentioned earlier, um, that accuse you of being misogynistic. How do you respond to those who accuse you of waging war on women? Yeah, so I either respond with sass or I don't respond at all. Um, so I find just a healthy dose of sarcasm goes a long way. Um, okay, so I work with the Arizona Students for Rubio um, on my campus, and we have a huge issue with getting people on campus involved. Um, and what we've figured out is that most of it's due to them not wanting to be involved. Like, not that they don't agree, but they don't want to be involved because it's the opposite of most people on campus. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, like, what you would suggest doing to gain further involvement, like, if any, because we're just having a huge problem getting people to want to speak out because um, there's so much like um, hate coming towards it from the liberals on campus. In my experience, um, you have to have an equal dose of fun with all of the activism. Um, so having a lot of social events and getting people to know each other first is really important. Uh, so I like to think as, of GUCR as kind of a family. Um, so if you create that kind of atmosphere and then you go and do the activism portion, people are going to be a lot more responsive because they see it as just supporting their friends and family as opposed to fighting against other people. So it's a more positive experience. Yeah, that's kind of what I talked about. A political apathy is a huge problem um, on TC's campus. And first of all, free food goes a long way with oh, college yeah. students, 100%. Free, actually free anything, um, that's what we've learned. Um, but besides that, kind of go, diving down deeper, um, especially when it comes to women, I think that um, a lot of women feel insecure about expressing their beliefs as a conservative. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, building that web, kind of touching what she said, kind of building that sense of community first and building that foundation is the most important thing you can do. Um, women helping women is more powerful than anything and, and that's when you see your strong women is, is those who aren't tearing each other down but those who are building each other up. And, creating that sense of security um, is more important than anything. Um, so that's what I suggest is, is creating that family and that foundation first. Uh, 
Um, I would also say to your question, um, I think there's something attractive about rebelling against the status quo. And I think it's really kind of cool that we can like band together and like rebel against what um, the media tells us and what mainstream culture tells us. Um, and so I think like emphasizing that, and, like emphasizing that we're the ones that are educated and we're the ones that like know about the issues um, and like we can rebel. I don't know. I just think it's kind of cool. We're the counterculture now. First, I just want to say I admire your boldness. I think it's beautiful. Um, my question is, what would you propose as an alternative to the trigger warnings and the safe spaces that come up at your events? So I think on one hand, it's important when you are dealing with PTSD and, and psychological responses to perceived triggers. Um, in those cases, maybe you should have a warning. Um, when you're talking about putting trigger warnings on a anti-feminist speaker, that's just absurd. So uh, I could see there potentially being a, a space for them, but that's not at any talk that you know you just don't want to have. There's, there's a pretty clear line between this could be harmful to someone's like psychological well-being versus this is a viewpoint I don't agree with and therefore I find it offensive and therefore it could trigger me. I fully agree with that. We have a lot of that on our campus where people think they need a trigger warning for ideas that don't agree with their own, which is not what trigger warnings are supposed to be used for. It's actually offensive to people who do have PTSD and who do have trauma that they need trigger warnings for to say that the, an idea that you don't agree with that is not threatening you in any way is something that could trigger someone is offensive. I also think it's important to note that there is a level of personal responsibility where if you know something is going to potentially trigger you, it's pretty easy to read the title of a book or an event and kind of make that decision for yourself, mm -hmm. rather than placing your own well-being in the hands of someone else who doesn't understand your situation quite as well. Any final questions? Um, hi guys, so I'm from Florida. I kind of had a question more directed towards Lydia, but you guys are more than welcome to jump on it. So at my university, the apartment complexes nearby that do house the students, they kind of make it that you can't bring your firearm there, let's say if you have your concealed weapon permit, right? Being said, the University of Florida, they have plenty of safety precautions, as they call it, with the blue lights, as yeah. we talked about last night, and safety apps that they have created in response to it as well. And the student newspapers have also gone about kind of glorifying the negativity of these guns and how all the suspects running around campus have access to them. So you ladies, being as mindful as you are, how would you kind of go about bringing about the other aspect of it, which is that it's more our right and we are the victim of this policy as you guys have been stating to these students? Um, I think the biggest thing for me has been using rational thinking. Um, I think a lot of times this, the, anything that has to do with guns um, is emotionally driven. Um, and that's a huge problem because when you let emotions get in the way, um, that's when you don't make, rash or you don't make rational decisions. Um, TCU actually on their um, campus tour talks about how on any spot on campus you can see three of the blue lights. Um, first of all, if I'm being held at gunpoint, I'm not going to be able to run to a blue light, let alone if I wasn't being hunted held at gunpoint, let's be honest here. Um, also, I live on, on an on-campus apartment, um, and in my parking garage, I can't see a blue light. Um, Amanda touched last night on um, the fact that first, you know, when you're in the situation, first you have to locate one, then you have to go to it, and then you have to press the button, 
wait for the responder, have the responder come get you or, or whatever your school process is, and that's just not rational, and that's not going to save you. Um, and so I think that pointing out the flaws in the system is the best way to get those to be changed. Um, and that's what I've been really working on. I live off campus, so blue lights don't exist. <laughs> I live in New Haven. Blue lights can't help you there. <laughs> <laughs> so I know um, earlier you had mentioned just really promoting a culture of women, helping women, and promoting each other, which I completely agree with. And it's really disheartening to hear y'all speak about people that y'all were friends with and close with, and their opinions of you had changed, and they had lost respect for you just because you had difference of opinions. And so I really think that women on both sides have a lot to give to each other, and we should all promote each other because women have a lot to give to society and their own respective parties. So how do you think that we as college women can kind of band together and really just support women on both sides? Or do you think that that's not possible at this point? So there are actually a few people um, that I just went ahead and messaged after this whole Dr. Summers debacle just to kind of hopefully make them aware of what exactly they were saying, what kind of effect it had on people. And a couple of them I ended up getting drinks with and we just talked about our views and we had a respectful discussion, the complete opposite of what had happened earlier before the event. Um, so sometimes uh, it can maybe take a hit to your ego to kind of reach out to someone and be the first person to make contact, but a lot of times it's worth it just to be able to have that dialogue. Um, and not everyone's gonna be responsive to that, but it's definitely worth a try. Yeah, I think there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Okay, Tina Fey. All right. <laughs> I was glad someone picked up on that. So um, my, my first response to that would be it's, it's mutual respect. Mm -hmm. um, I think that being able to put yourself in your opposition shoes and really open up that dialogue is, is the foundation um, into really um, exploring um, banding together as women, whether you're conservative or not. Um, I think that women should, whether or not they are conservative or they, they're liberal, they should band together because after all we are women and we are fighting some of the same battles. Um, but when it comes to the feminist movement, um, I don't necessarily agree with demonizing men, but rather I believe that we should build each other up. Um, you know, I don't need to demonize a man to be a strong woman at all, and I don't think you do either. A big thing for me has been finding common ground, like they're obviously 99.9% .9 of women on my campus are proud, wear proud Yale feminist shirts. But we can all agree on common ground that like, rape is bad. Like, we want to prevent this. You can find common ground with them and start working from there towards issues that you agree with and they might disagree with. Have you seen a, an increase in number of followers or people who have joined you because of your activism? I had a number of uh, freshmen come up to our table at the student activities fair at the beginning of the semester and actually reference the article I wrote about my experiences and they said that they really appreciated someone speaking on behalf of them. So yeah, hopefully it's working. I'd have to say yes and no to that question um, just because it's kind of like what Amanda said, how if, if you don't like snakes, you're not gonna like snakes. You can't force anyone to like snakes. Um, some people think I'm crazy because I like guns or I go skeet shooting on the weekends. Um, and so that's actually turned a lot of people off. Um, but at the same time, there are women who don't know how to express um, 
you know, their need to be safe and that comfort that comes with going um, to a college campus that is protected. And so I, I've, I've kind of felt both sides of it, um, which, is, which has been interesting, to say the least. Yeah, I've definitely had people come to me and be like, oh, I saw you on Fox News, like, I'm so proud of you. And like, I would never be able to say that because I wouldn't want, you know, to be the overheard at Yale topic du jour. And so it's been great to see like people who are my friends who I didn't know were even conservative because they were very politically apathetic come out and be like, I like support you, I feel the same way, but I would never be brave enough to say that. Excellent. Any final questions? I think that was a great note to leave it on, Arissa. Thank you girls so much. Thank you.